All right, I think we're uh, we're ready to begin. Oh, good. Does everyone have your sheet for today? Hebrews seven. All right. Let's see. Oh yeah, I was here last week. So okay, we're good. I don't. I don't have to do too much catching up. All right. Well, uh, let's uh, let's begin with prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you have sent your Son Jesus to be our new King. And now, dear Lord, help us to grow in this faith so that we might be strong, trusting in your promises, and looking to your kingdom always. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so uh, we're in chapter 7. Uh, man, you know, if we keep this pace up, we're going to be done in, you know, real soon. This is, we're flying. Um, so, uh, just a, just a brief uh, one-word review here. Chapter 1, God speaks to us today through Jesus. Uh, number 2, pay attention because God's talking, and that's how he's giving you salvation. Um, number 3, uh, we don't want to be like those who failed to receive the rest of God. Right? So he compares us to the Old Testament, to Israel wandering in the wilderness. Uh, therefore, we are to cling to the one who is faithful. Jesus is not like Moses. He's greater. Um, and, and in chapter 3, we start to get the hint that uh, we have a greater uh, promised land, a greater leader, and now we have a greater priest. Uh, number 4, or sorry, chapter 4, <coughs> we're talking about where we're going. So again, the promised rest is coming. Uh, and while we are still here, the way we keep each other together is that we do what you did today. We come to the divine service. We receive the gifts of God, which are able to sustain us. Uh, and then it, that, that chapter 4 ends with, Let us come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So all, all of the things that are happening here with Jesus are to land us right there in the throne room with the Father, Jesus at his right hand, saying, this is one. This is one of mine. Listen to him and, and give him what he asks. Right? That's the wonder of having Jesus as a high priest. Um, so chapter 5, uh, we dealt... Do we do? Oh, yeah. Uh, we dealt with Jesus as that priest. Uh, and then chapter 6, uh, we... Oh, yes, the... Uh, the promise that is a greater promise. Uh, so we have then uh, Jesus speaking, greater promises as the king. If we want to have the gifts, we pay attention. Right? Um, so chapter 6 then. Uh, oh, and he chastises us in chapter 6. That's right. Uh, because if you ignore it, if you say, I've already heard it, Jesus. I don't need to hear any more. I've heard enough of what we have to say. Uh, then you'll be like land that drinks in the water and bears no fruit. 
Um, so, let us not be like that, but instead, let us hold strong to the anchor for... Uh, one of the best images, I think, I, I just keep thinking of this, um, in ch- chapter 6, verse 19, this hope we have as an anchor for the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil. I mean, if, if you have a verse to memorize, I think that'd be a good one. <laughs> um, you know, Again, there's an, we have an anchor. If you imagine you know, the storm-tossed ship of life going back and forth, up and down, and you're wondering, really? I feel like I'm getting blown all over the place. Well, has anyone um, been on a storm-tossed ship that is anchored? Like you're, you're, at the, you're anchored there? Well, it's going to feel a lot like um, it would feel if you were just in a storm except for the anchor is guaranteeing you that you're not going to go anywhere. Right? So you don't skip the storm. The storm still comes, and it beats you up. And the ship goes up and down and up and down. But the anchor keeps you in place. So you're not going anywhere. Right? Um, yeah, right. Yeah, we know about wind now. My goodness. Did we get blown away yesterday? I heard someone, uh, some areas lost power. So, although shocking that we didn't lose power where we're at. We're over by the TPC golf course over there. Did anyone else lose power? I know you guys did, but uh, we didn't. So, all right. Now, uh, so we arrive at chapter 7. Now he's going to unpack who is Jesus. um, What is this priesthood he has? The Old Testament gives us types, or if you'd like to think of them as shadows, Right? What makes a shadow? Yeah, light hitting what? I mean, I guess something, right? Something that's blocking the light and allows a shadow to be cast. Um, is, is the shadow the light? No, right? Or is, is, it, um, is the shadow the thing that it's casting? Right? No, it's not. So if you're standing there, you are not your shadow. Now, of course, the kids, you know, they play like, I stepped on your shadow, right? <laughs> um, but, but you are not your shadow. And so that, I think, probably is one of the best images we have, um, is that a type or a shadow is not the thing itself, but a reflection or um, a casting of a shade. So we see the shape of it, right? But I can't, I can't tell a lot of things. What, what can you not tell from a shadow? The color of it. Color. What else? The details. Oh, yeah. The thickness, right? Yeah. Yeah, density. So there's a lot. There's some things you can tell, but there's a lot you can't. And, and again, this is then, if, if you think of this as the picture of the Old Testament and all of that system, God was showing us the form of what was to come. And if you can imagine Jesus standing there and then uh, the Father, you know, behind him is the light. Jesus is the thing that will be given. But then the shadow cast is all the Old Testament, right? Uh, all the sacrificial system, all the priests, all the, all the, the things that they were doing in the wilderness. Um, so that's going to pass away. Just like when you stop looking at the shadow, you look at the real thing. And that's what's... That's what's happening when Jesus comes. Now we're not, we don't just have a shadow anymore. Now we have the thing itself. 
Um, and, all, and, and the shadow, of course, uh, if you don't have the object that's making the shadow, what happens to the shadow? Yeah, <laughs> it's gone, right? It's, it, it's, it, it doesn't exist. So, so both of them depend on each other. Um, but one is indeed lesser, at least in the sense that uh, it was only meant to show you the object, right? Um, okay, so the, I hope that uh, as we go through this, I'm hoping that image will help you. Uh, that's how sort of Melchizedek then is a, a shadow. Uh, or I'm sorry, the priesthood was a shadow. Okay, chapter 7. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness, then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. All right, so uh, one thing I like about the New King James is it keeps, the, that's one sentence. <laughs> so, so if you have, um, if you have maybe the NIV, what, what they'll do is they'll break it up. Uh, it, it's, it can make it easier to read, uh, and it's not wrong, uh, maybe helpful in English, um, but, but it really is a run-on sentence, and I, I think New King James is one of the best at like keeping the sentence going. Uh, just a little note on the, the translation. Um, not wrong, it's just they actually have clauses. Right, yeah, you're right, yeah. Yeah, and it notes it, right? I mean, I mean to whom, right? Uh, and then it keeps on referring back to Melchizedek. Okay, so so this Melchizedek then, there's, there's then, let's see, uh, one, first, he gives him a tenth. Okay, so in, in verse two, he gives him a tenth of everything. Um, and then verse three, he really starts unpacking it. Uh, without father or mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. So that's all to say uh, he's a type of the eternal. Right? Because we don't, and now, um, we don't get who is his father and who is his mother. Right? We don't get his death day. Now the rest of the fathers, the patriarchs in the Old Testament, usually we have uh, when they die, or at least their genealogy. But he is different. Right? He's a type of the one to come. And, and so Melchizedek then is a high priest but not one by law. Right? So this office then is uh, one that is greater and one that is perpetual, right? always there. Okay, um, so now verse 4. Now consider how great this man was, to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. And indeed those who are of the sons of Levi, who received the priesthood, have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law, that is, from their brethren, though they have come from the, the loins of Abraham. But he whose genealogy is not derived from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. All right, so to unpack that, again, this is sort of a denser section because the Melchizedek thing is a bit of a mystery. Um, and and I, I still struggle with it a little bit. Um, and maybe, Pastor Wolf, you can, you can help to unpack some of this. Um, so, looking down here. Uh, first, the Levites by law. What law was given that said the Levites were priests? <laughs> well, right, God's law. But, but which one? Mosaic. Yeah, it was the Mosaic law, 
right? So he comes off the mountain with the, the, uh, the tablets, uh, which have the Ten Commandments, but also the instructions for the people. Uh, the rest of that law is then given in the Tent of Meeting. Right? So, so the law starts on Mount Sinai and then moves from Mount Sinai to the tabernacle when it's erected, and the rest is given in the Tent of Meeting. That's the book of Leviticus. Okay? Um, but it is established in Moses as a ceremonial law given by God. Uh, and it's all part of the written law, uh, included with the Ten Commandments, that Israel was to follow. Yeah. With Melchizedek, and I really call the typos of Christ, and the maybe Christ himself. But in a sense, can't we see that he was a man, shall I say, eternally ordained by God to be in righteousness? He was the example of righteousness, and was viewed as such. Yeah, I think so. And, and, and we're going to get to the, uh, the identity. And again, uh, Pastor Will's going to have to help me here because I, 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 I think I have it, but, but it'd be good to, to hear uh, another opinion too. All right, so he's, but this man is not from Levi. So the priesthood is from Moses, given by God, but from, to Moses, and he's part of the written law. Okay, and, and that law then is the Ten Commandments and all of the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament. Um, and even the, even the laws for the king, too. All those are together. Um, so in Israel, you have uh, the moral law. That's the Ten Commandments. You have the ceremonial law. That's the, um, the priests and the sacrifices. And then you have the civil law, which is given to the king. And it rules Israel. You know, so that's when you have, uh, you know, if a man murders somebody, he can go to the city of refuge, and then he has to go to the judges, all that stuff. Okay? So those are the three kinds of law you have from Moses. Now, we still have the moral law. This we still have, the Ten Commandments. It's still valid for us. But the ceremonial, as well as the civil law, which is the king, all get fulfilled in Jesus, and he establishes a new testament. Yeah. Yes. So, so what? Some of them were given on the mountain, and then once the tabernacle is erected, uh, he goes to the tent of meeting now and gets the rest of them. Oh, that's a good question. I don't know, Pastor. Do you know the time frame of that? Well, forty days for Moses. We know that. Um, but then from that time, I wonder if there's a time marker in Leviticus. That's when that's when the shift happens. Um, let's see. It's at the very beginning where it says where he is. So let's Leviticus one here. All still from God. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So uh, so God is giving all of them. Um, all right. Let's see. Okay. Here this is uh, Leviticus chapter one. Now the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tabernacle of meeting. So so he gets all of the first laws. The building of the tabernacle, the Ten Commandments, um, and even, if you look in Exodus, um, even, let's see, what, what else is in here? Um, the daily offerings, uh, ransom money, the altar of burnt offering. Um, so you, you have a lot of, uh, you have some of the festivals too, I think. The altar... Moral and ceremonial things. So you get some before. So, so basically there's two locations. One's the mountain. One's the tabernacle. He gets much on the mountain. But once he goes to, once Leviticus begins, then he gets the rest of the book of Leviticus 
in the tabernacle. Okay, so the, the, and that's all the ceremonial laws um, and even some of the laws for the king. Um, yes? The, the Ten Commandments are the laws God gives to the Jews to keep and to, and to broadcast, and those are the laws for everyone. Right. And the, the, the ceremonial laws are the laws for the Jews to help them stay distinct from the rest of the people. Right, right. And as one pastor said in Maryland once, he said the problem was there's 640 some laws in there, and in there somewhere the Ten Commandments. And that's why perhaps the Jews didn't quite understand when Jesus came, because they hadn't really paid that much attention to that. Well, see, in, in, in um, yes and no, because the the Ten Commandments are the ones that God put on the tablets. True. The, and they should have known that these are the premier, right? These are the number one. And these are the ones that Jesus begins with in the Sermon on the Mount. Maybe it has something to do with the fact that Moses had to write it, not God, when he, when he broke the tablets. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. Okay, so, so you're dealing with laws, and you're dealing with all the Old Testament. Um, and like, uh, like Gary was saying, there's 600-some laws. Uh, how many of you have memorized the book of Leviticus? <laughs> now, for us, um, that's a, that, it's a little distant because we don't do the sacrifices. Um, but for, for the Jewish people, uh, they, would have, they would have had many of these things in their homes. They would have discussed them. They would have talked about the festivals. They would have talked about what they have to go and do. They would have talked about which animals you have to buy, how old they have to be, you know, what kind they are. Is it an ox? Is it a sheep? Is it a goat? Uh, and each one of those has different ways to sacrifice. Um, so be thankful you live in simpler times. <laughs> uh, all right, so uh, just, I just wanted to give you a picture then of the law there, all the laws of Moses, and now they're coming down to Jesus. And he summarizes all of them. And Melchizedek is this strange character that is, that is not given in the law of Moses and is above the law of Moses. And, and that's the strange part of him. Because for the Jewish people, or for the Israelites at that time, um, it would be strange to hear that outside of this law, there is something else. And yet Abraham knows it. And Abraham's the one who gives them the tithe. Right? Yeah. That, that's a very important part because it even says that Abraham gave him a tenth. He tied even without the law. Right. Right. So, so it was kind of like the, the time shall come when the law will be written on their hearts. Yes. And so that was, that's why I've heard it probably by the day, I've heard Melchizedek is the titles of Christ. Christ doesn't make it a law, but we do it out of love for him. It's, you know, and that's yeah, just what that's it is. Right. That's right. That's right. That's what you see here. Right, you just, he just gives, yeah. All right, um, so he is not then. So this Melchizedek is not in the law of Moses. And his priesthood is not in the law of Moses. It is above the law of Moses. And, and that then is, uh, is one of the hardest parts. Remember, the, the audience that this was particularly written to uh, was probably Jewish because they're so well acquainted with the Old Testament. And it was probably still a difficult thing in that time for uh, being a Jew and being part of that culture to relinquish the temple and relinquish all of the sacrifices and say, okay, I'll just have Jesus and his new kingdom. Now for the Gentiles, it's a little easier because they don't have all that behind them. 
right? Um, okay, so, yes, Judy. Um, were there any other uh, priests that were also kings? Because usually a king and a priest were Yes, separate. yes, no, there was not. So after this point, the king and priests are always separate. Yeah, so again, a difference. You know, and this, of course, goes to Jesus. He's the king and the priest, right? Um, so, so that's why he is in the order of Melchizedek. Right? In the same way that Melchizedek does these things, now Christ has come, and we, have a, we had a shadow then, now we have the reality in Christ. Um, okay, now let, we'll, we'll finish this section, and then I want to have Pastor Wolf give some, some explanation too. Um, now, so, so we're in verse 7. Now, beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. Here, mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them, of whom it is witnessed that he lives. Okay, uh, so again, the witness that he lives, uh, there are two ways of taking this, um, but I think it's talking about Melchizedek. We do not have a record of his death. Uh, and if you remember what Jesus says about Moses, uh, that God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And Moses appears with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Um, so we have an idea of what it means that he still lives. Okay. Uh, okay, and then finally, verse 9. Even Levi, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. All right, so, so he's giving us this picture. Melchizedek, Abraham. Uh, and so even in the Old Testament, the New Testament was prefigured and seen in the priesthood of Melchizedek. One who would come and who would be the king of righteousness and peace and who then all the law would be in service to. So that even the priesthood and everything else would be pointing to this one king. Um, so, you, you want to give a few comments, Pastor Wolf? I'd like to, to hear, hear some, some of the things you came up with, too. About what? <laughs> um, well, let's deal with Melchizedek and his person. I mean, how, how, do you, how are you seeing it, and what, what do you... If you, you read it in Genesis, you know, what, what is said here in Hebrew is a little strange. Um, in verse 3, he is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither well, he was a man. Right, yeah, this is the strange part. He had mother and father. He did die. Uh, someone may have known his genealogy at one time. Um, but I think literarily, it, it's not recorded. Right. And then, I mean, I, I would perhaps uh, liken that to uh, the Blessed Virgin Mary. Um, right. Uh, I, I would not hold that she remained a virgin throughout her life. She was still married to Joseph, and I would expect her to be a, a faithful wife. But we, we call her the Blessed Virgin because she was a virgin mother. Uh, when, conceived, when Jesus was conceived and born, she was a virgin, uh, the only woman to be in that situation. Right, yes. So we, we, uh, we, we recognize that, and, and the, the great gift that her God through her. Um, but uh, because uh, you know, there's, there's all these genealogies in, in Genesis and Melchizedek is not in them yet 
great Abraham uh, blessed him in this, this great way. That, you know, God gave him the victory, and, and so he uh, um, gave Melchizedek a tithe uh, in, in thanksgiving to God. That, that's a great honor to the Israelite people. Honored Abraham because he was their forefather, and here Abraham is giving this great honor to this man of whom they don't know where he came from. Right, right. Simply because he is God's priest. Right. Yeah. And and also, uh, well, his name, the King of Righteousness, is his title, uh, the King of Salem or Jerusalem, King of Peace, uh, does point, as you say, to uh, to Jesus. but so some sometime, you know, between Genesis and the time of David when he wrote Psalm 110, which was quoted there in chapter five, um, you know, there, there must have come these stories about Melchizedek or sort of right. something of a legend right. that may have been built up or just you know, the pointed out. You know, so so David writes, uh, "You are a priest forever in that order of Melchizedek." Right. Uh, so. Uh, so maybe because there was no no beginning listed in Genesis uh, and no ending, um, so they they thought well he was he was a priest forever. Right, right. Well, Melchizedek was not a priest forever, but Jesus is. Right. Um, and that, so uh, so David you know, picked up on that in, in writing the psalm uh, <coughs> to become the Messiah. Right. That, that's how I. Okay, yeah. And uh, do, do, have you uh, seen that Luther calls it, sh- he says it's Shem? Yeah. I think I may have heard that. Yeah, so, so Luther, uh, he, he, and, and he takes it from some ancient text. Now he says it's not, you know, clearly this is not the most important part. Um, but he says Shem would have still been around uh, because of his age, you know, and, uh, and it would have made sense that he would have been uh, preeminent and, and even a priest. Uh, because all of them, I mean, you look at uh, Noah, and he's sacrificing. You know, and we even look at uh, Cain and Abel. They sacrificed, right? Um, so there is a sense in which there's this priesthood. Now, we're not told about that one. But we do hear about this king of righteousness that, you know, he's the priest. So I thought that was an interesting theory. I mean, and, and even Luther would say, you know, it's not, it's not vital that it is Shem. But it makes a lot of sense. And, and I, I like it. Um, uh, but but again, we don't. It, you're right. I, I think that's right. The, the the literary part is we don't. It doesn't tell us that he had a father or a mother, or that he died, or when he started to live. We just get this guy in the middle of nowhere, right? Um, and that's again why he's made in the likeness of Jesus. Um, but the best part, and, and the part I love the most, is that the Old Testament prefigured it. God is already, I mean, and we already had that in the seed, right? So when God promised Adam and Eve, uh, one, a seed will come from the woman and he will crush the head of Satan. Now we even have in Melchizedek something beyond the law, beyond the priesthood that we have and that's going to come seemingly from God. Out of nowhere, uh, he will, there, there will be a man and he will be the king of righteousness uh, and, and then, of course, we have David, who uh, I'm, I'm sure this, at, at this time, Genesis, I mean, Moses would have written it, right? So he would have been reading this, saw the story. But then the Holy Spirit uses it to, to tell us that Jesus is in this order. So the Old Testament then is the foundation 
the shadow, it, it, it points to the promise that is fulfilled in Jesus. Um, so the order then of Melchizedek is his eternity, his priesthood, um, and, uh, and that he is greater. He's the greater one. Yeah. I think also by not tying uh, Melchizedek into a corporal life with parents and upbringing and this and that, we see that we have a righteous man who's literally a priest in God's eyes, he's called this, uh, who embodies the spirit of God. So if we think back about to, to Noah, he and his family were saved because they embodied the spirit of God. And so that is what's emphasized. That which was in him, which was God's spirit, indeed truly is eternal. So in that sense, that spirit of that man didn't have a beginning, didn't have an end because it was of God. His word. And so he could have been a very physical person, Shem or you know, Joe Bagadonis or something. Like that. But the fact is, is that, is that he had God's spirit within him. And the thing I think is interesting is that all of this happens in Genesis, very close together, in the first book of Moses. You would have begun your reading of the scrolls, I think, well, just there. I mean, if you're not ADHD, like you start the back and go to the middle, etc. But the fact is, is that if at the beginning, God is saying, I am putting among you people, all right, of various sorts, uh, and, and that the Spirit of God can reside in you. All right? And now, this is, I don't want to get into notes here. I'm not saying it. But it, it's a spirit that God gives us through his son, through the preaching, through the priests. And the whole idea of the sacrifice was to show that a blood sacrifice was needed to continue right. that. But to show that through that, you could attain righteousness within. And you should. That's what the law was, was trying to show. So he's building this case to where he brings Jesus, man, God, all in one. Right, right. Like you say with the law, we don't have to keep it from a law standpoint. Right. But with, by the Spirit of God, James gets into this. And, uh, we love it, right? Yeah, we and we want to do it. Yeah, yes. yeah. So, so then we see, even in the Old Testament, outside of the law comes one who is the king of righteousness and is so great that he receives tithes from Abraham. Right? Um, now, his next part, uh, this next part, so now we know he's, it's a forever priesthood and... Uh, and it's outside of the law. So those are the, those are the important parts for now. So let, let's go on a little further. Um, oh, yeah, Tony. I was just going to ask, could it be sacrilegious if I say this, but do you think that Melchizedek represents the physical being of the Holy Spirit? Mm, I don't think so. And, and, and one of the reasons is that would really confuse the the Amen. Trinity, right? Because because you, if you're if, if, if right, right, yeah, uh, and, and we must be careful. I, and that's why even with Shem, you know, it's a fine idea, but Scripture itself tells us it's the he's in the order of Melchizedek. It doesn't say Jesus is Melchizedek, but he is in his, in that same order. And then he explains what the order is. He's eternal, outside of the law, and so those are the things we have to sort of cling to. Everything else. Uh, it would be, you know, there, there's some good ideas we can have, but we don't want to go too deep into our own ideas. Um, yeah, right. Uh, so, no, I don't think so, too. I don't think it's the Holy Spirit. Uh, all right, verse 11. Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should arise according to the order of Melchizedek? And not be called according to the order of Aaron. And this is, he is such a genius. And of course it's the Holy Spirit, right? Um, I, I, I look at this and he, he's saying that 
you can't get perfection under the law. Period. Something else has to come. Uh, and this is our, 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 always our temptation as those who are of the flesh is we want to make our own laws or we would rather just follow the law and try to get there on our own. But you can't do it. That's the point of Melchizedek. Even if you were the best Jew, you kept all the festivals, you kept all the law, Melchizedek comes and he destroys everything. He destroys all your notions of righteousness. He's the king of righteousness and he doesn't even have the law. Right? Uh, so Jesus comes and he brings something that the law cannot give. And that's why he's in the order of Melchizedek. It's not in the law. If you look to the law, you will not find it. Now, that is the way of righteousness. But there is a condition. In thought, word, and deed, you cannot break one of these laws. And if you do so, you deserve hell. That's the condition of the law. You can most certainly have eternal life in the law. If you keep it. Good luck. So, so that now we get, now we get this, this perfection that comes. Jesus comes. And he is not a Moses. He is not here to tell you, do better. But rather, he's, tell, he's telling you, I have come to bring you a righteousness that is greater than the scribes and the Pharisees. So that's why, again, the author here uh, is saying, pay attention to Jesus. If you think that you're going to get it from the Old Testament and you disregard Jesus, you will not have perfection. You must have Christ. Okay. Um, so verse 12. For the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe. All right, so the priesthood being changed, that's, now it's being changed from Levit Levi to Melchizedek. So that's the change. And then, for he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe. Now they're going to Jesus. Okay, Jesus belongs to a tribe, which is what? Judah, right? Yeah. Um, from which no man has officiated at the altar. Right? That, that's not the job of the tribe of Judah. Uh, for it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning the priesthood. And it is yet far more evident if in the likeness of Melchizedek there arises another priest who has come not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. So, Jesus is not of Levi, and that is on purpose. Because he comes as a king and a priest, but his, his, uh, his priesthood is based on what? If you, if you take these verses, what is his priesthood based on? Yes, it's in that order, but what is, what is the, the, the linchpin of it all? Mm, yes, but but which sacrifice? Yeah, right. But but even more so, and this this is where he takes it. Yes, it is that. But then, what? Uh, based on verse sixteen, what is it that makes him in the order of Melchizedek? What? Yeah, the power of an endless life. God. 
must come. And this is, Jesus does this in the book of John. I, I just, I love the book of John. Uh, he, he goes back where he says, uh, I have the power to take, to put, um, I have the power to lay my life down and the power to take it up again. The power of an endless life. And so being in the order of Melchizedek, he also is perpetual. That's the point. Is that Jesus' priesthood will never end. And he will never die. All right, um, so in verse 17, for he testifies, oh yeah, uh, who is the he here in verse 17? For he testifies. Well, the Holy that's a good guess, but here it's actually not the Holy Spirit. What? Well, that's a good guess too, but it's not him either. No, he, Jesus is who he's talking to. Uh, yes, but his name is threefold. Which one? Aha! Uh -huh. So this is, this is, we're going back to the Father, right? The Father speaks to the Son. You are a priest forever according to the word of Melchizedek. Right? This is his oath. It is a vow of the Heavenly Father that you are a priest. So this is the difference, again, of Jesus compared to Levi. So verse 18. For on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing, of, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. Okay, so the former commandment... What... what what could it do for you? The former commandments. Condemn you. Yes, it could condemn you. Unprofitable and worth... Does it say worthless? Weakness. Weak and unprofitable. Um, yeah, because again, was it, now were the commandments righteous? So how can he call it weak? Why is he call, Now it's weird to call a commandment weak. Is it weak because it's untrue? It's not enough for what? Salvation. Ah, right. It's, it's not able to bring you life. It can't do it. It's un, so, so the commandment is unprofitable for you. It won't, it won't help you. I can tell you all day uh, that uh, you should, in thought, word, and deed, protect and serve your neighbor. Uh, and then when you leave here, you're going to get angry with somebody, probably your husband or wife, uh, and then you'll have broken the commandment already, right? Or that dude that cuts you off, right? And then, then you will no longer be wishing for his goodness and his blessing, but for his immediate wreck, for his flat tire. You don't want him to be, to be hurt. You, you don't want him to be dead. You just want him to be maimed, right? But no, that's not, that's not what we, you know... And that's why the commandment, it can't do it. Um, now, what, why is it so weak in us? What, what is the problem? If I tell you the commandment, why, why can't you do it? Yeah. And sin then doesn't just affect uh, your activities, but what does it affect? Your spirit. You're corrupt through and through. It's an, and, and, and that's why um, Luther calls it a nature sin. 
Uh, and it doesn't mean, you know, outside nature, but that you do these things naturally. They are the automatic response and that your heart itself, and that's what Jesus says, well, does food defile you? Does food make you sinful? Food! <laughs> and that's what Jesus says to the Jewish people, right? Because that's what the Pharisees were saying. Wait, why aren't they washing their hands? And he said, food has never made someone sinful. But where does sin come from? What does Jesus say? The heart. Right? From the heart come adultery, immorality, all these other things, right? So that's then the corruption. And that's why the law is weak. It's not that the law has a problem. You have a problem. And I have a problem. And so it can't help me. And it, and, and it couldn't help them. It doesn't make them perfect. And again, you, you notice his argument is genius. Um, if, going back to verse 11, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, what further need was there that another priest should arise? So what is he saying there? Yeah, so then, so then what would we be saying to Jesus? What would we be saying to Jesus? If, if, if the Levitical law, or if the law were enough, what would we have to say to Jesus? Here, you are pointless. I don't know about you, but I don't really think it's a good idea. <laughs> uh, and so Jesus is the proof of it. The fact that he must come means that the law failed... Or rather, we failed. Right? The law was unable to do what we needed. Okay, uh, so let's go on here uh, to verse 20. Oh, and, and again, verse 18. What happened to the former commandment? Just to make that clear. What happens to the former commandment? It's annulled. What does that mean? Yeah, right? Yeah, it's, it's now, uh, it, it's been, uh, it's a moot point, right? Uh, it's sort of been uh, put to the side. Um, okay, so it's annulled, right? You, you no longer can do these things, and therefore, all the sacrifices of the Old Testament are annulled. Yeah? Why does he say it's annulled versus Hmm. That's a good question. I, I think that I, I think his point here is not that it isn't fulfilled, but rather that um, that now you have a new law, or not a new law, but um, you have a new commandment that, namely, uh, to repent. And so, so he's just using that rhetorical device to say, you, the old one, the old one, you can't do anymore. Because Christ fulfilled it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't think he's saying. Jesus didn't fulfill it. I think what he's, he, he just isn't, he's not adding the fulfilling part. He's just saying, you can't follow that anymore. You can't do the sacrifices anymore. No yes, right, right. So if you try to go back, you can't. Right? You, you can't, the, the old priesthood's done. Right? Yeah. Yeah, uh, the annulling, the nullification doesn't mean the law doesn't exist. Like you're saying, it exists. 
but uh, but but the new law is the law of love, which is, which is Christ. Right. And also, the annulment wasn't done by you. But the annulment was done by God because He provided the new law, which is Christ. That's right. Which That's gets right. us, which gets us back as people, if we will but listen to the status before the fall, which is we walk with God. Right. Yep. Uh, and, and again, you you all know this verse very very well. Um, uh, take drink. This is the new new covenant in my blood. Right. That's it. Okay, so this is then the new covenant, the new way. And it annuls the old one. Right. Okay, uh, verse 20. And inasmuch as he was not made priest without an oath, for they have become priests without an oath, but he with an oath by him who said. Uh, okay, so Jesus uh, with an oath, the Levites did not have to take an oath. You were born into it. Okay, so so as, a, as a Levite, you simply said, this is my genealogy, and therefore I'm, I'm a priest. Now, there was an ordination that would happen, but you didn't have to take an, an oath. Okay? Uh, so again, the ordination was someone ordained you to be a priest. It wasn't uh, you taking an oath to become one. Um, okay. The Lord has... Okay, so this is the oath. The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever according... To the order of Melchizedek. All right, so who is the Lord there? What? The Father, right? Yeah, he's quoting it again, but now he added that extra part, right? The Lord has said. Um, so God the Father said, You are a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. By so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. Right? So he is the certainty that we have a better way. The Old Testament has... It, the old covenant of the priesthood is annulled. Now we have a new covenant. And that covenant then is the only way. And the old one can never do it. And there were many priests... So that, I'm in verse 23 now. And there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Okay, so the, what happened to the Levitical priesthood? That stopped. Will the priesthood of Jesus stop? Ah, this is the difference. So now that he has come, nothing will come again. He is the end. He is the Alpha, the Omega, and the only thing left is not a new promise or a new covenant, but rather he will fulfill all the promises that he made to you. So on the cross, he finished, forgave all sins. Uh, now he imputes that to you. He speaks it to you, and the Heavenly Father forgives your sins day in and day out. So you have a covering for your sin. But on the last day, what's going to be different? Yeah, no law. That's true. That's true. Yes. Uh, what else will be different? What, so, verses now. So, you're Christians, and you'll be there on the last day of the resurrection. What's going to be different for, from now to there? Ah, yeah, well, uh, you will, you'll have your body back at that time. No sin. So, you won't need 
to be covered because of the new body that is given to you, given back to you, sin taken from it. Right? Now we're covered continually until the last day. And on the last day, the reason why death still must come to us is that that's the only way to separate completely sin from your bodies. And then you get your body back. Same body, no sin. And this is why Jesus' resurrection, his death and his resurrection, show us what is to come for us. So it's already happened, but now we cling to it. Uh, but it's not going to change. So there's no new word. There's, it's not like God's going to come and say, okay, now here's the next part. This is the end. That's why we're in the last times. Because right? uh, there's no new message from God, no new priesthood, no new covenant. Uh, it has been fulfilled. And now we simply wait for the promised land. Okay? Uh, so, and that's why, again, putting it in the context of Hebrews, we are those wandering in the wilderness for the 40 years. And it seems like forever. But it's the 40-year wilderness. And that's why he's talking in this way. Right? Okay, you're on the way. You're, you're traveling through. The promised land's coming. Don't... Uh, don't neglect the word because you're, you're already in the rest by faith and soon you'll be in the rest even with your eyes. But don't neglect it. Right? That's what keeps you in that, in that journey, keeps your faith. Okay, so unchangeable priesthood now in Jesus. Um, okay, verse 24. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Verse 25, Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he ever lives to make an intercession for them. Ah, this is the best part of it. Why is Jesus a priest? Why did the Father make him a priest with an oath? Yeah, and what does his intercession do for us? It's, it saves us. So then what do you have to do with your salvation? Well, can we? Can we, can we accept Jesus? By the power of the Holy Spirit, we can. So yes... But that must come, that acceptance, that faith is a gift of the Holy Spirit. Um, so Jesus then, as our intercessor, he came while... Did Jesus come when we were ready? No. When did Jesus come? While we were still dead in our sins. And this is the best part in why he is Melchizedek. He comes unlooked for. And he is the one who gives us what we need, even though we didn't know we needed it. So Jesus is now at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you before you ever believed. Jesus died for you, and then he called you in time so that you could be his. And through his call, which is based on his intercession before the Father, he said, Father, I want that one. And so then he sends his word to you, and that word creates faith. It makes you alive. And that's what the intercession of Jesus does. 
Again, a pre... What? The function of... What was the function of a priest in the Old Testament? What did he do? What was his job? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and usually for sins, sometimes for Thanksgiving. There were other offerings that people would give. But, um, but he was the mediator between you and God. And it was very physical. So uh, if you look at the temple, they had two sections. What are the two sections in the temple? Holy of Holies and the Holy Place. Okay? And the Holy of Holies, what was in there? Yeah. Yep. And then what was on the top of the ark? Mercy the mercy seat. Who sat there? God. Right? This is, where, this is his dwelling place. So then if you look at it spatially, does God come out? No. Who comes out? Of the, of the Holy of Holies. Ah, now you see Jesus. And this is why Jesus can say to those, oh, Jesus, show us the Father. Now you, you get it? The priest comes forward. They didn't see the... If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Again, sometimes we overcomplicate this. God really wants you to get it. <laughs> so, so he makes it really simple. You know, for, for people like me who are like, yeah, but what does it mean? But literally, the priest goes in with your, with your sin, and then he comes out with God's blessing. Right? That's how it works. Yeah. Another sign of God coming after us, i.e. his Holy Spirit bringing us back to him, when he says when he chooses you, is that when Adam and Eve sins, the first thing that happens is that God said, hmm, they've sinned. And he walks about and says, where are you? Like, oh, you know, only only. And, and all of a sudden he appears and, and they say, you know, go through the litany. Right, right, yeah. Yep. And God provides them with the clothing from of a sacrifice, as it were, from the killing of an animal. And you see two things. You see God does come after us through the Holy Spirit. And God does provide it for us. To right. Back to him. And his whole goal, like you say, we overthink it. The whole goal is to bring us back into communion with him. Yeah. So, okay. Um... Where, we, where do we go here? Oh, okay. So his intercession for us is what saves us. Not, not our acceptance or our rejection or our whatever it may be, but God's, Jesus' intercession for us is what saves us. Now, of course, our faith links us to him, and that is how he brings us into him. But he gives us the faith, and then he brings us with him. Okay, uh, 20, verse 26. For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily, as those high priests, to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for, for the people's. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. Ah, so there we, there we have it. Ed. There, there's the answer to your question. He offers, he offers himself. That's the fulfillment. So he, he know, now there's... There, and, and this also means what about the Old Testament sacrifices? Now that he offers... Jesus has offered himself. So what, what happens to the Old Testament? There are no, right? They, again, this is, this is the picture, right? There is, a, there is a sacrifice now that makes all the other sacrifices pointless, right? Um... For the law appoints as high priests men who have weakness. But the word of the oath, who is the oath given by? Jesus. 
the Lord, and who is the Lord in this instance? The Father. The, the oath is given to Jesus. Go, you are a priest forever. Now offer yourself for the sacrifice. And he does so. Which came after the law. He appoints the Son who has been perfected forever. All right, so, so then, again, that, that, the idea of perfection uh, is not that the Son was lacking something before and now he's perfect. Um, but rather, it is the fulfillment, the end of the plan. Uh, you know, so it, it has been executed to the end. So it's perfect in the sense that there's nothing more to be added. So this perfect sacrifice, then, is what you have now. There's nothing more you can do. There's nothing more you can add to it. And so um, going to the gospel, uh, what do you have to do as Christians to get to heaven? What? Nothing. Good. Uh, what do you have to have to get to heaven? Faith. Yeah. Did you make faith yourself? No. You did not. God gave it to you. And so God gave you faith, and that faith then is for you to what? What, is, what does faith hold on to? The Word. Yeah, and, and where He is, right? So it is Christ, but now we know in the book of Hebrews, how do I, where do I find Jesus? The Word. The Word. I listen, and I have it. And this should then be our greatest joy. I don't, it's not my works. I don't have to do it. And, and, and we, it always leaves me sort of confounded. I say, well, what do I do now? <laughs> what do you do when you're free? Right? Go be free. <laughs> and of course, we're free. And in, in what you were saying earlier, Gary, uh, we're filled with the love of God. Now we don't even have to be told what to do. Right? Um, because the problem, again, with the law, the weakness is in us. But now the greatest part about Jesus' gospel is, what do our hearts want to do now? What does your heart want to do? What? Good works. Why do you want to do good works? What? Well, that's true. Yeah, but, but uh, is, is, uh, do you love the one that commanded you? Yeah. So, so now it's not, it's not because uh, you're going to get anything from it. But simply because you love him. Oh, great. Now there's nothing left for me to do except for you know, follow my father. Right? That's what, that's what I want to do. Yeah. In the beginning of these, we've been reading these, these verses. Uh, it says when, when, uh, when Abraham came back from the slaughter of the kings. When you read about the slaughter of the kings, you see he was doing it to save his family. And these, these three kings were holding and ransom. Well, he, he killed, I think, all but one. And one of the, one of the kings, uh, one of the servants of the king said, you know, you are so great. We'll give you all kinds of money. We'll make you one of our people. You make us great. And he said, well, thank you very much. But for me and my family, we were, we worship God, our Lord God. And the sense is there is, is that he did all these things, not for gain. Right. But only to be in the presence of his Lord. That's right, yeah. Earl, I, sorry, I missed you over there. Well, you said, like, what is the one thing we need? I, I, I know we need faith, but I always remember that, what does Jesus say? Man doesn't live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So truly, daily devotion is just a Yeah, 
Yeah, that, and, and, we, and we can't get away from the practicality of this. God wants you to have it with you. How do you have the Word of God with you? What? Study it, yes. So you can have it in your mind, right? You can memorize it. Yeah, that's one way. How else do you have it with you? Meditatio. Yeah, yeah, you should do that. Where'd you hear that? Um, what did you say? I said in your heart. Yes, right. You, you love it, right? You're cherishing it in your heart. It's one thing to have it in your head, like one plus one, but it's another to sort of mull it around, right? And, and to think about it all the time. Um, like, a, like a love letter, right? That, you know, the soldier on the field, what does he do? You know, it's not like knowledge. He's not reading it. Okay, I really have to memorize this. When I get back, you know, my wife's going to quiz me. <laughs> Come on. No, of course not. He loves it because it's words from his wife, words that give him comfort and strength. And so the same thing for us is that's the heart part, right, is we love the word because it's our Father who speaks to us. I mean, that's the thing. Look at, why did Jesus, why did he send Jesus? Why did the Father do this? Because he loves us. The love of the, I mean, that, that just should blow us over, right? We hated him. We, don't know, we want nothing to do with it. We want to kill God. And he loves us. All the same. Sends his son. Right? Um, and the other thing about having God's word with you, uh, if, if you're uh, bad at memorizing stuff, literally carrying your Bible around. Right? And reading it. At every occasion you can. Right? Yeah. I often wonder, when we do good works, we usually get a good feeling. Yeah. Well, so when we do good works, we get a good feeling. Um, uh, well, um, feelings can always deceive, but they might not, right? So feelings are not bad in themselves, but we must remember that feelings, if, the, if it's coming from us, don't, what's always mixed up in it? Sin. So no matter what, when it comes from us, it's always got some mix of sin in there. Um, but God purifies us, right? And it's good to love doing good. Uh, and the new man in us, he loves God, uh, and, and, uh, or, or um, you know, she loves God, depending on you ladies. Uh, and because of that, we do love doing good works because we love our Father, right? So that love comes from the new person that God has made you. Um, but it's, there's still... Uh, it's not something that we use for our trust, right? But I would not, do not be concerned about, I mean, when the Lord gives you good feelings, enjoy it. <laughs> enjoy the comfort, enjoy the peace, enjoy the, the goodness that comes from your good works. Um, but don't depend on it. That, that's how I would, I would say it, yeah. Um, oh, wow, okay, sorry, we went too long. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll end with prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Dear Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your love that you have showered upon us through your Son, Jesus, and his sacrifice of himself. Please guide our hearts and minds with this spirit that you've won for us. In Jesus' name, amen.